Our reading for today is, is Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. God bless the reading of the word. Well, what we say this week and maybe for a few more weeks when we see someone, we haven't seen them yet this year, we, we are supposed to say, before we say anything, I guess, Happy New Year. And I've heard a lot of people say something like, I uh, can't wait to put 2020 in the rear view. Like, that's been a hard year, hasn't it? And uh, so I wanted to start this morning by asking this question, are you, are, you, are you happy? When was the last time your happiness was disturbed? Well, I don't mind confessing that uh, yesterday when I saw the governor's press conference and he said, well, we can't have church with singing for a while again, and we're having this increase in the number of cases here in Bonaire, and we really need to sort of watch ourselves again. That disturbed my happiness a little, I have to say. I'd, I'd really rather have church in person. I think, you know, we're, we're barely having church when we're doing it this way. So that disturbs my happiness. So when we say Happy New Year, I wonder what we mean. I guess these days we probably mean whatever makes you happy. <laughs> So I think, well, what kinds of things make people happy? What do people look to as a basis of happiness? All kinds of stuff, any number of things. Money, possessions, like so for most of us, we think, well, if I had a slightly more prosperous year, if I got a raise at work or made more money in my business, that might make me happy. I put a little hope in that. 
or just the work I do? Do I find it satisfying? Does it make me happy? You know, what a blessing it is to have a job that you enjoy doing. Some people, it's their home or their health or their friends or their family. For some of us, it's just having fun. If you're having a good time, you're happy. If you're healthy. So I wonder, what kind of year are you expecting this year? Are you expecting a happy 2021? Hmm. Well, I guess probably most of us think 2021 must be better than 2020 was. (laughs) But I really kind of expect 2021 to be a troubled year as well. And not because there's anything special about this year or that year or any other year. It's, I expect 2021 to continue. People will continue to suffer. People will continue to ha- have illnesses. People will continue to die. Natural disasters will occur. Government corruption will still be a problem for some. And... There's people will continue to abuse one another and we'll still have wars and we'll still have financial disasters and families will come apart. People will get sick. Christians around the world suffer persecution for their faith. There's no reason to think 2021 would be an exception to those things. Every year is a troubled year. But I'm here this morning to wish you a happy new year. And not as just an exercise of denial or wishful thinking. I want to wish you a happy new year. I think you can have a happy new year even in the presence of all the suffering that we might expect. I believe there is a happiness available that can't be disturbed by any of the troubles that we would expect to happen in the coming year. In fact, this happiness is not only available, it's required. It's required of everyone who claims the name of Christ. In other words, it's a commandment. You've heard this commandment. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. I wanted to uh, look at the book of Philippians today to uh, sort of make this point. The book of Philippians, as you might know, is the happiest book in the Bible. I'm going to say that again. The book of Philippians is the happiest book in the Bible. It's full of joy. It is the book that contains this commandment, rejoice, 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 over and over. 
and also describes Paul himself, the writer of the letter, to be rejoicing. Here's what he says in uh, verse 10 of the fourth chapter. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. That's another word for happy. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And at the beginning of that chapter is the commandment in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. There's an available joy for the Christian that's always available. Always available. And Paul says here, he's learned, he's learned to be content. He says, he goes on, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret. Hmm, there's a secret. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do I can, that really means I can endure any situation and do so with joy. What had Paul learned? How could he be content, even rejoice in any circumstance? So this morning, I want to just take a quick tour of the book of Philippians and answer this question. Where did Paul find joy? What made him so happy? And I think in the process, we'll figure out how to be happy ourselves, how we can have a happy new year. Now, the, before we get to that, though, I want to think about Paul's situation because Paul's situation is an unhappy situation. Paul's situation, in when he's writing the book of Philippians... And he says, I've learned how to be content whatever the circumstances. His circumstances uh, were unhappy circumstances. So I want to look at his unhappy situation, and then I want to look at his happy situation. Hmm, interesting. So the first thing I want to notice about Paul's situation when he wrote the book of Philippians is in chapter 1, verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. So the first thing we would notice about Paul's situation is he's imprisoned. <laughs> he's imprisoned for his testimony of the gospel. You know, in many areas around the world, people are kind of imprisoned at the moment, aren't they? Under house arrest, so to speak. 
and that can, for, for most of us, it's uh, for our own safety, I suppose. But there's a restriction, there's a limitation, there's a imprisonment. Well, Paul's imprisonment was, you know, more significant than that. But he was stuck under guard. Here's the second thing I want to notice in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, Some people, he says, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my, in my imprisonment. In other words, there were some people who were talking up the gospel to make things worse for Paul. So Paul was experiencing the hardship of malice. People were out against him. In chapter 1, verse 20, he says, uh, well, I'm going to start in verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death see Paul was imprisoned and under the threat at least of a death sentence when he wrote this he has a uncertainty of life in fact in this text he he says something like, I don't know whether I'd rather live or die, because if I die, I go to be with Christ, and if I live, it's good for everyone, it's good for you, and I think I'll probably live. But he doesn't know. He, his life is under threat. In chapter 2, Verse 17, he says, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. Even if I am going to give my life for the cause of the gospel, I rejoice. His life is threatened. Well, here's the reality we all live with all the time even when we don't have any kind of immediate threat, none of us knows when our life will come to an end. He's also enduring all kinds of suffering and affliction. In verse 29 of chapter 1, he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. In chapter 14, chapter 4, verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul also is experiencing abandonment from his friends in chapter 2, verse 21. I guess I need to read verse 20. 
I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. He's talking about Timothy who's sending. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So Paul experienced in this time in his life uh, abandonment from his friends. He also experienced sickness among his friends. He speaks of Epaphroditus. He says, I thought it was necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. This is chapter 2, verse 25. Who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. <clears throat> Paul is also experiencing the endangerment of his loved ones. says in chapter 3, verse 18, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. He was also experiencing poverty, hunger, Need, he talked, as we already observed in chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, how to live in prosperity, how to be filled and go hungry, how to have abundance, how to suffer need. <clears throat> so the first thing we would notice about Paul is his... His situation had all kinds of reasons to be unhappy. Many aspects of his situation were unhappy. And yet, it's in that circumstance that he writes this letter that is the most joyful letter of the New Testament. Is he just delusional? Is he... Just not realistic? No, I don't think you can say that. He's observing all these unhappy situations. He's experiencing the sorrow of these things, as he said. Well, I think the solution to this is that Paul is in a worldly situation, but he's also in an eternal situation that is bigger and surrounds his immediate situation. And so what does he say about where, where is the source of this joy? And, you know, we've kind of accidentally read a number of these things as we've talked about his difficulties because he's always in Philippians sort of quick to say, even in this situation, I rejoice. So in chapter 1, verse 3, 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So what's his source of joy? He's, Paul is enjoying the transforming work of God's grace in himself and in others. And so I would say to you, you want a happy 2021. Enjoy the transforming work of God's grace in yourself and in others. And Paul's remembrance of the Philippians is about God's work in them and his part, their partnership with him in the distribution of the good news. Good news is news that brings joy. And the thing that occupies Paul more than anything else is the good news of God's grace in Christ. And so he enjoys seeing that transforming work in the people he has preached to before who are now partnering with him. Enjoy the transforming work of God's grace in yourself and in others. In verse 18 of chapter 1, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So he's just explained how some people are preaching the gospel from genuine, a genuine place, and some people are preaching the gospel in order to get him in deeper trouble. Crazy, right? But that's what's going on. And so some people are trying to get Paul. And Paul says, hey, but they're preaching the gospel, and so that makes me happy. I, the gospel, whether it's preached in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in this I rejoice. And he says, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is enjoying the proclamation and the demonstration and the exaltation of Christ. In words and in deeds. Even if he gives his life for the sake of the gospel, in that he will rejoice because it will exalt the name of Christ. You see, he's looking past his immediate circumstance to his eternal 
circumstance where he has every reason to be joyful. In chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if, anyone, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul is enjoying the unity of the body that flows from the imitation of Christ and especially Christ in his humility and service to the church. He says, this is how you can make my joy complete, that you can bring my joy to its intended end, that my joy will be really the fullness of joy, he says, when you have the same mind, maintain the same love, you're united in spirit, intent on one purpose, imitating Christ in humility and service to one another and to the gospel. So Paul's enjoyment is focused on the unity of the body, the church of the Philippians. And that unity flows from the imitation of Christ's humility and service. If we ask the question, how can we have a unity of the body in, in, at International Bible Church? The answer is imitate Christ. It's interesting. It's not hash out all your differences. We don't get at unity by hashing out all our differences. Though that might be a worthwhile endeavor. We get to unity by noticing the humility of Christ, by thinking of others as more important than ourselves, as he did. Looking out not only to my own interests, but also to yours. And there is a deep and abiding joy in the oneness of the body of Christ, a thing that just already is. You know, we don't really make unity in the church. We experience the unity that Christ has made. And we do that when we follow Christ in humility and service to each other. This is an opportunity for deep joy. In chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. There's in this text the holding fast the word of life. And Paul says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, well, here's what Paul's saying there. In, in the Old Testament sacrificial s- system, there was the primary sacrifice, and then there was the sort of extra bonus thing called a drink offering, which was poured out over the, the primary sacrifice. So what he's saying is your service, the service of your faith, the sacrifice and service of your faith is the primary thing, the thing I'm only a drink offering on. And he says, if that's the case, I'm, I rejoice. By the way, a drink offering is a celebratory offering in the Old Testament system. So I enjoy the opportunity to worship. That's the other thing we might notice about uh, sacrifice and service of your faith. When I trust myself to Christ, I trust myself to Christ. And in Romans chapter 12, we read that's our spiritual service of worship to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. And so when I trust myself to Christ, I become available to Christ. I am his. He can do with me as he sees fit, and I will rejoice in whatever he can do with me. And he will do with me things I could not have imagined without him. And so I have this worshiping opportunity to worship God by the building up of the faith of his people. And so when you serve in the body or when you speak the encouraging words of the love of God in Christ to someone else in the body of Christ, or when you just come alongside someone and you make that simple sacrifice of encouraging them in whatever way comes to your mind, that joyful service is a service of worship and it is a source of deep and abiding joy. And Paul knew it. 
So he says, look, if I'm just a drink offering on your sacrifice, I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice. In chapter 3, we read, I, I, I could read the whole first 14 verses of chapter 3 because this really is the heart of, the very heart of Paul's recognition that that his situation is not just this one that's right in front of him, distracting him. His situation is not just this one in which he's imprisoned and under the possible death sentence and people are turning on him and people are sick and dying and all these hard things he's got to deal with in his life. Chapter 3 is all the first half of chapter three is all about the main thing that is true about his bigger situation. So Paul is enjoying the passionate pursuit of Christ himself above all things. This is the text where he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that knowing Christ is the prize, and it was a prize he possesses and pursues. And you have the exact same opportunity. You know Christ, and you can know Christ. You possess it, and you can pursue it. And there's nothing of any greater value. If we think about people pursuing, you know, advancement in their career or personal wealth or, you know, some kind of financial security in this life, it is of no account whatsoever compared to the value of knowing the eternal Son of God in the face of the man Jesus Christ. 
It is literally less than nothing by comparison. And so if you are in Christ, you already possess the prize. Rejoice in the Lord. You can enjoy the the passionate pursuit of Christ himself above all things. Look to Christ alone as your source of happiness and satisfaction. Don't rely on anything else. Paul says all those things, you know, I was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was blameless in the pursuit of the obedience of the laws. I understood it. Everyone thought I was, you know, the greatest If anyone, he says, had reason to put confidence in the flesh, it was me. And I have abandoned all of that. Thrown it on the garbage heap because I've come to realize that compared to knowing Christ, it is exactly that garbage. So whatever else is happening, there's a circumstance, a situation in which you can find abiding joy in the passionate pursuit of knowing Christ and possessing his righteousness, not yours. You know, Jesus lived his whole life. He was the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed, he succeeded He was obedient to all the commandments of God his whole life. And in his sacrifice, he makes that lived righteousness, that lived righteousness is imputed, credited to me because I am in him. And so I'm reconciled to the living God in him. I have eternal life in him. I have, according to Scripture, been raised from the dead in Him already. And I look forward to that day in which I will be raised from the dead in totality in Him. If I have Christ, I already won. Whatever is happening around me, at the moment. You know, it's hard not to get distracted by that stuff, isn't it? But there's a circumstance that's beyond this small suffering of the present world. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, what I want you to notice here is who is the joy of Paul? The Philippians. They're his joy and crown. What does that mean? Well, that means... (laughs) He is enjoying the reward of spiritual reproduction in their lives. He preached the gospel to them and they responded in faith. And so 
he had the opportunity to lead them to put themselves in Christ, to put their faith in Christ, to be redeemed. And so they become his joy. And if you've ever led anyone to Christ, you know what he's talking about. If you've ever seen anyone come to Christ because you shared the truth of the gospel with them, and you see the fruit of ministry of your service in the lives of those who follow. And you can say, follow me as I follow him. There's a great reward, a crown <laughs> that you can enjoy. Then finally in chapter four, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now, at last, you've revived your concern for me. You see, Philippians is, is actually a, like a thank you letter because the Philippians, even though they were not wealthy people, they took up an offering to send to Paul when they heard about his situation to help him, to provide for him. They gave. And so he says, I rejoiced when I heard about that, you revived your concern. You were, you've always been concerned, but now you had an opportunity, he says. Not that I speak from want. Trust me, he needed it. But what he's saying is, I needed it, but I don't need it. I needed it, but whatever my needy situation, I know I can trust in the Lord no matter what. And the Lord is always providing for me perfectly all the time. He goes on. Let me just read this. Not that I speak for want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, Macedonia is the area where Philippi is, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you. Even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. For I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs just as he supplied mine using you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul enjoys the providence of God through the sacrificial service of the body. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said, look, God's the provider. 
And God's provision is perfect. He never leaves out anything. You might look at your situation and think, I'm feeling kind of deprived. But the reality of your situation is bigger because in depriving you, God is providing for you somehow. And he doesn't let you experience hardship or suffering or uh, poverty without providing something in it that is more than worth the price. That's Romans 8, like we looked at last week. All things, God works everything, weaves it all together for your benefit. And then later in that chapter, Romans 8, he says, if he gave us his only son, won't he also along with him freely give us everything? And the answer is obviously yes. And Paul knew this. This is the secret. This is the secret. God is good all the time. Sometimes it's hard for us to see. Sometimes we get a little blinded by the immediate suffering. Sometimes we need to stop and go to church and someone have someone tell us, look, there's something beyond the thing you're looking at. There's a situation outside of your situation that's bigger and better and in fact always includes the perfect provision of God in every situation. And here's the other cool thing that Paul enjoys here, and that is he enjoys that God is providing through the sacrificial service of other Christians. Because he himself knows the benefit of following Christ in sacrificial service to others, in the exhibition of this great love which we have received from God in Christ. See, no matter what else happens, no matter what other circumstance you find yourself in, these seven things, and you could probably find some others even in the book of Philippians, are always available to produce joy in the life of the believer. If you want a happy new year, look past this year. Look to the situation you are in, in Christ. And there's every reason to rejoice, no matter what. These things are always available to produce joy. By their very nature, we're obligated to enjoy these things. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're not rejoicing, you're forgetting in the Lord. So, key to rejoicing is remember in the Lord. (laughs) This is a commandment. Rejoice. You know, on a certain level, that seems a little crazy, doesn't it? Like, you can be commanded to rejoice. 
How can rejoicing be commanded? Well, because the cause of rejoicing is always provided. That's what we have in the good news of God's grace in Christ. <clears throat> so, are we just supposed to ignore all the pain and suffering? All the troubles of this world? Does rejoicing just numb us? Do we just ignore real pains? Does this sort of joy remove all the longing, the sadness, the suffering? It, no, I mean, you can hear Paul talking about his own sorrow in the middle of it. We're not encouraged to deny the reality of our situation. <clears throat> We're not encouraged to deny the horrible realities of this world. In fact, we're called to help with those things, to give of ourselves in order to assist, alleviate suffering for others. Uh, there's a hymn by a guy named William uh, Cooper, I think is how you say his name. It says this, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't remove the troubles of this world. In fact, at times, our endurance of suffering refines and improves our rejoicing. Did you hear Paul say that? He's sharing, he's rejoicing in his opportunity to share in the suffering of Christ. In the exhibition of sacrificial love for the benefit of another person. So Paul writes at the end of chapter 1. Let me just read it to you again. To you it has been granted. You've received a gift for Christ's sake, he says. To you it has been granted. God has given you something for Christ's sake. And here's what it is. For you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 
It's experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. In chapter 2, he calls us to imitate Christ himself in suffering for the sake of others. But beneath and around and at the end of all of the hardships of this life is the good news of God's grace in Christ. So I will rejoice. Beneath, around, at the end, at the beginning, is the good news. The good news. The happy announcement that God is not holding your sin against you, but is enduring the consequence of your sin for you so that you can be restored to fellowship with the living God so that your humanity can be realized in full in the end, in the resurrection that we have in Christ. If you are in Christ, you win. So, I will rejoice. I will enjoy the transforming work of God's grace in myself and in you. I will enjoy the proclamation and the demonstration and the exaltation of Christ. I will enjoy the unity of the body of Christ that flows from the imitation of Christ in humility and service. I will enjoy the opportunity to worship God by building up the faith of his people. If I can encourage you, I will enjoy that service of worship. I will enjoy the passionate pursuit of Christ himself above everything else. I will enjoy the reward of spiritual reproduction. I will enjoy the providence of God through the sacrificial service of the body. That's how. That's how. I'm not going to have a happy new year by being more successful financially. I'm not going to even have a happy new year by everyone in my family being spared illness for one more year. You know, that can only last so long. I'm not going to have a happy new year in any of those temporal, worldly ways in any kind of reliable fashion. I'm going to have a happy new year because I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Father, we do thank you that your provision for us in Christ is perfect and permanent, that there's nothing left out of your thinking, that your goodness and love toward your children covers everything. Or we trust your wisdom and your judgment and your provision in every way. 
Lord, I pray that the, in the fellowship of our church here at IBC, that the love of Christ would be real and evident in our lives, that we would be a rejoicing people, that even in the crushing suffering that we sometimes endure in this world, there would be a heart of deep abiding joy because we know the living God in Christ. Lord, we pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds to be receptive to the word of God, to bear in mind the great promise of your provision and grace, of your love. We want to know it and we want to share it. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.